Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to Steelers Outpost Podcast, Episode 7, on the heels of a glorious victory at home, where the Steelers vanquished the Bengals 29-14, to nearly doubling their score, if my math is correct. This was a glorious victory. It looks like the Steelers have emerged from the cocoon and the four-headed hydra of Ben Bell Brown, and the unrecognized Boz exposed themselves this weekend. Nick, it was a, uh, it was a suffocating performance by the defense, the offense... Uh, got to 29 points. And as I said, I think yeah. we didn't give proper recognition to Boswell. He just, he just as quietly does his job and uh, accumulates points, but it was uh, a fun game to watch. Yeah. I think the wizard of Boz is like something like 20 for 20 and field goals against the Bengals now. So he, he was at least five for five or he was six for six actually last year in the game against them. And he went five for five on Sunday. So the wizard of Boz, might have overtaken Martavis Bryant as the fourth killer B. Huge game from the Boz man. Well, there's another special aspect to the game this past weekend, and uh, I think I'd like uh, you to share that with the audience. Indeed. It was a very special game because we had a man on the ground. None other than yours, truly. This was my first time seeing a game at Heinz Field live in person. I had the pleasure of seeing Cordell and the boys take on the Ravens a couple times uh, towards the end of Cordell's tenure with the Steelers, but I haven't gotten to see the Steelmen in Pittsburgh, or really I haven't got to see them play live since Ben has been on the team. And it was one of my, ma- one of my major goals was to make sure I saw the Steelers at home before Ben retired. Now, I don't want to say that this guy's done already because based on the way he played on Sunday, it looks like we might be able to make the trip again next year. But either way, it was, to say the least, it was it was a rite of passage. It was a religious experience. Well, the pilgrimage in, was a total success. Having grown up in Pittsburgh, I, I have to say, based on the pictures I saw, you experienced one of the rare, rarefied weather days in Pittsburgh history. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll put some of those pictures up on the website, SteelersOutpost.com, for any of you guys want to check it out. But it was unbelievable weather. It was about 65 and sunny. Just the light of the football guys shining down. Just nice. Dancing, twinkling off the football field in the helmets of the Steelers as they pounded the Bengals into submission. And what has become not really as much of a rivalry when you win seven out of eight, but, you know, a contested NFC or AFC North football game. So you got to experience some classic uh, Pittsburgh Akana. Um, making up that word in That's the good. three days you were there. Unbelievable. It was like, like you would think that they rolled out the red carpet for me um, in a self-centered sort of uh, egotistical way. Uh, maybe I could interpret it as that, but the real situation is no town that I've ever been to goes that hard for football. And it makes me proud because I have heard about that about Steelers fans and obviously you see Steelers fans all over the country so much success in the 70s and people who have um you know lived in Pittsburgh moved to other places you see jerseys and everything everywhere but it's like there's a dress code in Pittsburgh at least on home game weekends that's what I was hearing no less than 40 percent of the people I saw in the city total everywhere any part of the city no less than 40 percent were wearing Steelers memorabilia First place I went to, this was with uh, my main man, Andre, who got me the tickets for my uh, birthday. Glorious. It's kind of hard to beat that. Girlfriend wasn't happy about the unbeatable birthday present there. But I digress. First thing we did, we hit the Smallman Strip, uh, which is just a really cool part of Pittsburgh, converted warehouses for everybody who lives there. They probably know the Strip for people who don't live there. It's a bunch of cool converted warehouses kind of near the water, um, 
not on it like Heinz Field is, but either way, cool bars and shops and coffee shops, and more importantly, just Steelers paraphernalia lining the streets. Literally every half block, there is a bodega, and every other shop is a Steelers gear store. So you have people, crazy people like myself, wearing Steelers gear, walking along the street, buying more Steelers gear, getting ready for the game. It was it was patriotic, to say the least. What you need to realize at your tender age is that uh, that that industry has replaced the steel industry, which employed 50,000 people up until the time of its demise in the late 70s. So there's your well, economy. Well, city reinventing itself. Medical uh, industry, obviously, starting to boom over there and a lot of other things. But either way, that Smallman's trip was awesome. We also went to a diner in Green – where was it? What's the place? Greenspoint? Green Tree. Green Tree. Greenspoint's in Houston. I was just driving about that yesterday. Um, anyways, in Green Tree, random diner, 50% of the people wearing Steelers gear – all the waitresses, everybody's ready for the game. Everybody's giving you here we go. It, it was glorious. It's This community exists in my mind when I'm walking around in other cities, but it was surreal to it's be a real, part of it. It's real, my friend. It's real. It was glorious. Uh, right before the game, we went to a bar next door to the stadium, and they had a Steelers drum line. These dudes, they're some badass drummers. <laughs> getting after it, starting some here we go Steelers chants, everybody in the building yelling here we go Steelers, pretty much confirmed the fact that I will be moving there within the next few days if I had my way. But uh, amazing, going to the stadium, it's glorious. There's a Hall of Fame, you got to see Jack, you got Jack Ham's jersey hanging there, I mean Joe's jersey, the bus's jersey from the Super Bowl, um, awesome. And then when we got out, uh, of the tunnel, basically um, walking up towards our seats, and the heavens opened up on behind field, uh, playing field itself, and uh, it was hard to keep tears of joy from streaming down my face. But it was amazing. We had an awesome view from the corner of the end zone. Saw all the warmups, and finally got to see all 22 camera live. Seeing as I was right in front of the action. It was awesome. So we got I, I did get to see a lot of what the Bengals were doing to try and prevent the Steelers from going deep, as they usually do. And I was able to see what the Steelers did to shut down A.J. Green. It was an awesome game, and it was sweet to get an actual view of the whole field. Where, where were you sitting? What side of the we were sitting in the not the We were sitting in the closed end. So you could see and the, in the corner. You could see the scoreboard. You could see the mountains just nice right behind you. Well, Mount Washington, I guess and um you know the yellow bridge and all that stuff so it was surreal after watching every game at that stadium since it opened on tv and then being there and it started a little bit quiet the crowd to be honest with you i think the open end of the stadium makes it so that it's not quite as loud as you'd expect but gradually over the course of the game as the people maybe they got the social lubricant was hitting a little bit better uh they got louder and louder until the crowd really took over for the defense in the second half. It was awesome. It was glorious. Well, that's great. It's a thrilling story. One I wish I could live myself and maybe I'll save my pennies and make the trip up there before the end of the year. Maybe we will save them and uh, go to a playoff game, mortgage the mm -hmm. house and Let's hope sell we the do. cars. There you go. <laughs> so it's we like it. to open the Steelers Thanks. Outpost podcast with the three major themes of the game and I'll let you take it over, Nick. Major themes. Okay, so number one, besides the fact that the Steelers are now the number one seed in the AFC, something that we can see has developed over the past few games is this is the time of the season when a team basically solidifies its identity. And I think this Steelers team identity is solidifying. And it's the same identity as last year into their playoff run. It's a run-heavy football team with opportunistic passing and good defense. Now, something that separates this team from the last one uh, is that we're not we're being very careful with the football. That Jaguars game seems to be an aberration uh, because they protected it pretty well all year, but no turnovers yesterday. That definitely um, huge key to victory. The team is starting to gel. There's things to improve on, but we got an identity now, and it's the Le'Veon Bell show. Theme number two. Still have a, we still have an issue with the red zone and third downs. Um, so we, how many? We were one for four in the in the red zone. One for six. 
this is a major problem. And you do have to give some credit to Cincinnati, who has the second overall ranked defense. So they've got some players in there and they made some plays. But I really think that, you know, part of its execution, you know, Ben has had some funky audibles or not great throws in the red zone in past games. He was very on, in my opinion. Great touchdown pass to AB. We'll get into that later. Um, and a great throw to Vance McDonald, where he had to twist around and make a catch that he really needs to make, and he didn't make it. So some of its players, uh, and then other uh, other parts are just some incredibly questionable play calls. It's still happening, and I think that they, Todd Haley needs to figure out what is the Steelers' identity in the red zone. I know you want to take what the defense is giving you, but maybe you do need to dedicate yourself to, to being under center a little bit more so you can pound the ball in there and utilize some play action and stuff like that because I don't see the Steelers utilizing it in the red zone. So terrible in the red zone, terrible, terrible, one for six. Third down was about, I think it was, what, three for, for 13? Two for 11. I mean, slightly better percentage-wise, but but so uh, not even as good as the Bengals. Over three, brutal. Three for and once again, I think that that that's can. I I do think the Steelers have the ability to improve that, and that was a great Cincinnati defense. That doesn't give you an excuse, but I think we'll look to improve that. Uh, but those are gross, terrible stats. Those need to improve, but at least we know what they are. Ben commented on that after the game. And then the other thing I would say, just as part of theme number two, is that we need to start finding some production from players outside of numbers 26 and 84 who account for about 70% of the offense. Yeah. Let that sink in. Yeah. But that'll be theme number two. Let's move on to theme number three. There are some things that are improving and I'll say three a would be Ben is definitely starting to gain rhythm. This was a great game for Ben. He made some big throws. He did not turn the ball over. And seeing it in person, that 17-yard out pass he had to AB on second and 17 um, on that kind of like two-minute drill, that thing was shot out of a rocket cannon gun blaster mechanism. The dude can sling it. His arm looked alive and he looked to be very comfortable during the game. And we'll move more into his performance in the grades, but it's clear that Ben is starting to gain some rhythm. Uh, number two is one of the themes of our season has been the defense seems to collapse every fourth quarter. And they did just the opposite this game. They clamped down and they improved on one of the negative themes from the season, which gives me hope that some of those other themes, like the red zone struggles, can improve as well. And then one other thing that improved, which is the uh, 3A, I guess, for the themes, is only one penalty in the entire game. Five-yard penalty on defense, none of them on offense. So the fourth quarter collapses and penalties have been problems throughout the season. They improved that against the Bengals. Big reason for the win. Yeah, just those follow, are the three teams. Yeah. Just, just to follow up on that defense with not collapsing, it played 24 minutes compared to the Steelers' 35 and change. So they really didn't have to be out there a whole long time. Had to help. Well, that's been a theme that hasn't helped them in the past either. I mean, the, the, they were chilling on the sidelines the whole third quarter against the Jaguars, and they got murdered in the fourth quarter. Against Blake Bortles when you knew what they were doing. So it's, it's great to see them. Yeah, well, I guess that's true. He can, he can bore you into submission. That is one of the greatest strengths. And we're going to move into the next segment. We call this our five pivotal plays. Five pivotal plays. First play we've identified, which was glorious. It was a man playing high school, a man playing against junior high, middle school players. Le'Veon stiff arm. On the, the ankle biters. Le'Veon stiff arm. That was a cutback play. He gained 42 yards on a catch and a run. And uh, I don't know what you I don't know how to describe that other than, the arm came out, the little man came up, he fell down like a wob- weeble wobbling. I don't know. He looked like he had the Terminator's arm surgically implanted into where his right arm used to be as he slammed little tiny Dre Kirkpatrick into the ground. I thought we saw the play of the year for the Steelers last week with AB's Houdini catch and touchdown, and I think this may actually beat it just in terms of pure wow factor. You can argue, but especially I feel like from the stands, you could hear the thump of Drake or Patrick's face onto the turf. It was a thing of beauty. That stiff arm, just wow, glorious. So let's go to number two. 
Number two, the touchdown to AB. Let me tell you, the stadium was a rockin' on the first successful opening drive of the Steelers season. This is the first time they've scored a touchdown on opening drive. This is a rare occasion where we've actually scored a scored in the red zone period. It was a beautiful throw from Ben and a great catch from AB, who was still kind of uh, fighting with his man running this slant when Ben put the ball in the air and he turned the balls right away from him and he puts his hands out and it sticks to him. Something that's cool about this play too is Ben and AB actually thought that it was a broken play. Uh, ben spoke to that in the press conference afterwards. He thought that it was a free play because someone jumped off sides. So it was just kind of an improvisation and um, maybe they should improvise more because that was the best, one of the best throws of the day. Pivotal play number three. Number three. Bud almost gets a sack on first down and ends up getting his... Is this his first sack of the year? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You need to set the stage for this. I don't know if it's his first... No, he's had sacks already, but this is definitely the first one where he, where he beat somebody. Regardless, which is pretty much a holy song for the Steelers fans as... The stadium plays renegade when the team needs to get a big, big defensive stop and a huge moment. I think they played it when Troy got that pick six on Flacco to send the Ravens back into the playoffs, and they've played it countless other times. It's basically a break glass in case of emergency type deal. They played renegade in the stadium. The stadium absolutely exploded. This was on one of the uh, Cincinnati's drives in the fourth quarter, like basically late in the game when, when they sort of sealed the deal. This was after the two interceptions and – and they played a renegade. Bud almost gets the sack on first down while the crowd is in ecstasy, screaming like a bunch of demons or just like bloodthirsty Romans. Bud almost gets the sack. Um, proves to us once again that he does not know how to tackle and slides off the ginger rifle himself. But then Tyson Alulu cleans him up. Then they have just a little gain or an incompletion on second down, and Bud avenges himself and gets the sack on third third down. It was crazy. It's like a cheat code when they played Renegade. So pivotal play number four, and this is my favorite. I like to put this under the category of Tommy Ball, something I would do and will do when I get my NFL team. The fake punt. Robert Golden, two for two in quarterbacking duties. And gloriously, Darius Hayward Bay had the reception 44 yards to get the first down. And uh, he's like a gazelle running on the Serengeti after the catch. So uh, Robert Golden, uh, I heard this morning on the interviews, Ben ought to offer to give him some tips on passing. And Robert said, don't mess with success. Well, that's a smart man because one for one, 44 yards, that's a pretty sweet quarterbacking performance now something interesting to note about that play while i was watching it live on live i noticed that denard who's the corner who's supposed to be uh covering haber bay as the gunner he ran in towards the line and looked like he was going to blitz and i was sitting there like man nobody's on haber bay and for a second just toyed with the idea like i wonder if uh they could actually throw it to him but figured that's never going to happen i think that it was actually an audible I believe that they're taught, Robert Golden is taught that if they ever leave that guy uncovered, you give a signal to the center. Uh, Tony Romo was thinking the same thing, actually. And you just chuck it out there to that guy. And let me tell you, when you see the replay on TV, it looks like a nice throw. In person, it was it looked like the best throw of the day. It was terrifying. It looked like it just had the perfect arc and kept him inbounds, you know, barely by an inch. But it was it looked ugly uh coming out of his hands, but Boy, did it look beautiful going through the air. Well, just please note, his quarterback rating was 118.8. Ben's was 117.4, a full 1.4 points better than Ben. And by the way, you were right in the interview with Golden. He said they had scouted that, and they were prepared if they saw that to to go. Awesome. Uh, It's also – it's crazy because – how is he able to snap it to Golden, who is so close without Golden, you know, dropping or fumbling it? And it's pretty cool because they snap it to him, and a guy who's rushing actually just runs right by Golden, and he doesn't realize that the ball is right next to him the whole time. So it was a nice job by Golden calling the play, getting the snap, and throwing it immediately without taking time to set up or anything like that. Definitely awesome play. That's play number four. 
We're going to move on now to play number five, which is my favorite defensive play of the evening. It's the big play Willie Gay interception. Really, this interception should go to Sean Davis, who made an awesome play on the ball. The, uh, Dalton's trying to throw like a skinny post, and Sean Davis is in a trail technique. He's following the guy and then makes a nice play at the last second to break up the pass, which goes straight up in the air right into the waiting hands of Willie Gay. This, to me, I like this so much because it felt like the first interception by a DB this year where it was actually a nice play. I love the Hayden pick. I love the fact that he got his first pick as a stealer. It was a nice athletic play for him to grab the ball off A.J. Green's back, but it was a bad throw by Andy Dalton. He threw away ahead of A.J. Green, and it kind of bounced up to him. This one, I feel like a defensive back made a play on the ball, and the Steelers got rewarded for it. So that's number five for me in five pivotal plays. Okay, that's it for the five pivotal plays, and we move into the grades for by position. And we like to start out with the offensive grades. grades. Yes, indeed. As is tradition, we're going to start with the offensive grades. This is a great offensive game from the Steelers. Second game in a row where they were totally controlling. They controlled the clock and they moved really well in between the 20s. Obviously, like we said before, they're going to need to tighten the red zone stuff up. But this was basically Ravens game part two with the asterisk of uh, an even more improved Ben Roethlisberger. The offense really uh, had success running the ball, but it's really only like a 3.8 yards per carry. So it was they, they wore them down and they did a good job, but they committed to the run and, and basically wore the defense down. They weren't ripping off 10-yard runs all game long, but they were committed to it and they had an identity. I think we definitely saw Ben's best game so far. We started to see him come alive. Uh, so... That's great to see. There's multiple guys getting involved in the offense. Maybe not as much as we'd like to to make up for that 70% that A.B. and Le'Veon are, are contributing. But you're seeing some of the tight ends get catches. You're also seeing Rosie Knicks get a bigger piece of the pie, which I think all Steelers fans like. We love him. He's no Dan Kreider, but I don't know, man. He's getting up there. They're committing to him in the two tight end sets. And uh, – most importantly, I think zero penalties by the offense. That's amazing. You might not see that again all season, but hopefully they keep that number low. So those are the good things from the offense. Bad things, we've kind of gone over them already. The red zone woes, one for six. That's disgusting. Third down woes, two for 11. That's miserable. Fourth down, get this, one for three. That's brutal. Boo. Terrible. Le'Veon getting 35 carries a game seems to be working for us. Although I'm going to guarantee you this guy who has never finished a 16-game season, that's not going to be sustainable for him or for anyone, really. He's actually on pace right now to have the second most touches in a season in NFL history. And, you know, God forbid he misses a game or anything like that. You just don't have enough rhythm behind him. So hopefully they get James Conner in there and get him up to speed with the pass blocking and all that because – He's kind of a liability in those situations. Uh, the last thing I'd say is the deep ball issue. I think it's getting closer. There were a couple nice throws, a couple uh, passes that the Bengals batted down, but it's still not quite on target. So those are the bad things. But bearing the good and bad together, we got to give the offense a grade of A. So we're going to move into the quarterback rating now. Um, this does look like Ben's best game. He's uh, gaining momentum, as you said. He looks relaxed back there. Accuracy, he's getting the ball into some small windows. He looks comfortable mm-hmm. and confident. He's, he has hung in the pocket, and uh, you know he has, the, he has the protection of the offensive line, but he's hanging in there appropriately. I don't remember him having to throw too many balls away yesterday. Mm-mm. Definitely, but I think that him hanging in the pocket is a great point because he's – I just see him looking more comfortable and he's ready to make those throws when the pocket collapses. He did uh, run out of the pocket once or twice yesterday, which is good to see. Uh, The line kept him clean. I think he ambled. Yeah, ambled is a better – I don't want to say waddled. We'll give him ambled still now. It was terrifying to watch. Yes, he's – He's an old cowboy gunslinger, as we know, and the gunslinger's got something left. But he looks confident, and he has some serious zip on, on the ball. And, and I think that he's some confidence working up there. 
Um, he also had another a couple nice plays actually reading the field and going left to right and not just staring at AB the whole time, which is still a, a big part of his game. But that we're not going to complain too much. Uh, he had that first third down conversion of the game to Le'Veon to keep that first drive going. That was a nice little read. Le'Veon got 23 yards off of that. Then shortly after, he had a nice slant to AB where AB was like his fourth read. And then on Juju's long, wide-open touchdown, which is basically identical to the touchdown DHB had last year against the Chiefs, um, he did a great job looking off the safety and freezing the guy and, and delivering the ball. And then the last thing we'll say for his for his positives is he's protecting the ball. That's a great defense. They've historically gotten some turnovers from him. He's protecting it, and that's what this team is going to need. They're going to need to run the ball, wear teams down, you know, don't turn it over and trust in the Steelers defense. And that's kind of that classic strategy that, you know, the run the ball and play defense and pass with, uh, you know, just be clutch in your pass, make a couple big plays and don't turn it over. He's doing that. So, uh, well, let's you know, go back to something you mentioned earlier and, and apropos of, of passing versus rushing, uh, the over-reliance on AB, it, it would be more comfortable to diversify the targets AB had was targeted ten times. The next highest number was three to mm-hmm. to Le'Veon, and uh, three to to uh, Juju. So, to your point, that's a mm-hmm. lot of production out of one person. Yeah, and I think that the Steelers are going to beat a lot of teams with the way they're playing now. But they need to improve on that aspect of their game to beat someone like the Patriots, whose whole thing is to make you play left-handed. And they've done a good job taking AB away from the Steelers in the past. And we need to get some of these guys rolling. And uh, that's on everybody. That's an offensive coordinator and the other players themselves. But, it, but it's definitely on Ben as well. So he needs to improve that. So that's what we'll put as a knock on him. But overall, I think it was a very good game from Ben. I think we'll continue to see him improve. We're going to give him a grade of A-. minus. A minus. So moving on to running back. Um, as you pointed out, we are talking primarily about one person. Uh, James Conner had three rushes, and we had the reverse to, to Bryant. And, of course, we have the all-purpose bullback, uh, Terrell Watson. I still haven't figured that out, honestly. Is he Terrell the get... Torpedo? Yeah. The Watson? Tor- Yes. Not exactly sure why we bring him in on short yardage situations, but uh, Le'Veon, candidate for NFL MVP, certainly this year. We already mentioned the stiff arm. It was, a, it was textbook beautiful. Uh, you, already, you already mentioned on the negatives, it's not a negative for Le'Veon. It's a, maybe a negative for, um, for Todd Haley, this over-reliance and overuse of a guy who hasn't proven that he can go 16 games. Right. I, I think it's even a negative on James Conner because I think the reason why he doesn't get more carries or more snaps rather is because he has struggled in pass protection and they need to know that he can he can protect the passer. That's a crucial part of being an NFL running back, particularly in this offense. And it makes them one dimensional as well if James Conner is in there, which is also what I think what happens with the torpedo with Terrell Watson. I think he's. Three and one with his conversions. This is the first time he was stopped, the torpedo that it is. But when he's in there, you basically know, okay, he's getting the ball and he's going straight up the middle. Either that or they're going to play action and throw deep. But we need those guys to step it up a little bit, particularly Connor. You know, he's the guy. We need him to, co- to continue improving in the pass blocking because when he's running the ball, he looks good. He's hitting the holes hard. He's, fi- he's finding creases even when the Bengals know that the Steelers were going to be running the ball. Um, regarding the MVP thing for Le'Veon that you mentioned, totally agree. Nobody's talking about Le'Veon for MVP, but expect those talks to come up in the next few weeks. We're going to give Le'Veon, surprise, surprise, a grade of A+. plus. All right, that takes care of running back. Let's move into the other killer, one of the other killer Bs, Antonio Brown. That guy is very good. There's nothing new to report here. Four catches for 65 yards, all of them huge impact catches. He had the great touchdown catch. He had yet another long pass interference that could have possibly been a long touchdown uh, if he hadn't gotten held. Um, Some debate as to whether the ball was too far or not, but listen, this is A.B. I think we know that there's a good chance he could have scored either way. Great game from A.B. I'm really not going to spend that much time on it. The guy 
has been the MVP of this year. I mean, if you have to choose between Le'Veon and him, you could really go either way because, man, AB has showed up every game. He's doing a great job, especially against a team that usually um, gets the best of him. They, he averages under 70 yards against the Bengals per game, so they actually held him to that again. But it seems like the impact he has, he had uh, was a big impact during the game. And if you were there, you could see they're terrified of him. They got two guys on him the whole game long, opens it up for some of the stuff in the middle. A.B. gets a grade. Once again, here comes a little surprise. Y'all ready for this? A+. Plus. There were other receivers we could talk about, but you had to watch closely and not blink or you may have missed them. Uh, Juju continues his ascension. He appears to have installed himself solidly as the number two wide receiver. The, the guy can block. He has um, open, to open, speed, open field uh, elusiveness, if I may. So I, I feel very comfortable. They brought, obviously, they brought Eli back for a second game. He had a nice run after his catch. Just interesting, though, we only threw five passes to the middle of the field between uh, Simon Schuster and Rodgers. Right. So it seems that it, seems that it was a lot, uh, a lot of territory open, and even to the tight. I guess we should count, count Vance McDonald, but didn't seem to be capitalized right. in the middle of the field. I think we're starting to hit it a little bit more, which is encouraging. We'll move into Vance later, but Vance had a nice one down the middle, and of course Juju was coming across the middle. Um, on that great touchdown. And you're right. He's the number two receiver. Make no bones about it. I, as much as Martavis wants to complain and ask for more trades, which of course he did again, basically he doubled down on the trade talk. So rumor comes out last week that he wants to trade. He denies the rumor and then basically goes and confirms it after he's mad about not getting the ball this week. I don't know if he's mad about not getting it thrown to him enough or mad that he couldn't even do basic tracking of the ball on a bomb that Ben threw to him. Ben looked pretty peeved on that one. And Martavis, man, he just looked lost. If you look at the replay on that bomb that Ben threw to Marty, he isn't even looking, he doesn't even realize the ball's in the air until it almost hits the ground. So I think that there's some things they can do to get him the ball more, but it's pretty apparent that he's not exactly meeting them halfway and he's, he's not doing the things he used to be doing. So I don't know if this was caused by a fit of frustration on his uh, inability to track a ball in the night sky or if uh, he really just is getting bad advice from somebody, but I'm sure everybody's heard the quotes by now. Martavis responded to some comment on Instagram that took a shot at him. Somebody said that Juju is better than you. And he responded saying, Juju is nowhere near better than me, fool. All they need to do is give me what I want. Y'all can have Juju and whoever else. So after he denied the trade request last week and all of his teammates protected him, he basically doubled down. Ramon Foster heard about, uh, you know, spoke to that today to the media and said that that kind of crossed the line that they all stuck up for him last week and now he kind of hung them out to dry by the way he called in sick to team meetings this morning and i think this is the second or third time excuse me that was my bad that he was that he had called in sick to a meeting with within like the context of this martavis drama happening so i don't know what the steelers are going to do with that i highly date, doubt they're going to trade the guy First off, there's no reason to. He's under contract. He's not expensive. Second off, you're not going to get any value for him because he can't track the ball. But I I hope that he improves. I really think he can. I understand that he's frustrated. Everyone wants the ball. That sucks. But, man, he's not really doing his part here. And to throw people under the bus like that, that's, that sucks to see. Don't like it. Uh, bearing all that in mind, receivers, total grade, they get a B. One of the reasons the Steelers are able to perform at this high level is because of the offensive line. They're finally showing up and playing up according to their billing. I think they had great pass protection. Ben was not sacked. Uh, I didn't notice how many quarterback hits he suffered, but they, they, uh, the run blocking was excellent. Very tough up front, front seven. And as you mentioned earlier in the show, Roosevelt Nix, he is, uh, he's a bigger piece of the pie. I think I could get a couple of yards if I just grabbed his belt and could... Run that That's right. And just follow him. He's a beast. He, 
his best play might have actually been where he somehow summoned the self-control not to retaliate when Vontae's perfect tried to kick him in the face on like the fourth snap of the game. So Le'Veon went out into social media and defended his boy Rosie and called out Vontae's perfect saying that, man, the NFL needs to get this guy out of here. They keep condoning this and he keeps engaging this extracurricular stuff. Vontae's perfect. I have no sympathy for the guy. I agree. You need to get the dude out of there. He's been doing it for years. I feel like they suspended Martavis Bryant after he got a few strikes for smoking weed. This guy is, is out there trying to hurt people. And he got he got a big suspension last year, and he got another one this year. So I feel like the next strike he has, they should suspend him for a whole year because he's actually trying to hurt people out there. It's regardless, it's, it is interesting. I mean, the, the NFL is not known for consistent decision making, no, or even supportable decision making. Yeah, so, they really want to protect the players, but there's this guy over here who can't control himself. He lacks the ability to control himself. He's a ticking time bomb. Best he's ever done is gone a couple games without a personal foul penalty. Brutal. Obviously, he played well, but uh, Rosie stacked up nice against him, and his performance along with the offensive line performance in general, it was big time. I'd say the only negative I'm really going to point out is that uh, Villanueva is still not quite solid enough in pass protection. Uh, Carl Lawson got around him a couple times and got some big hits on Ben. You were right. He didn't get hit very much, but when he did, there were some big hits and he still needs to improve. I don't, uh, he seems to have regressed a little from yeah. last year in that aspect. It does. And it seems, and who knows what got into his head with the whole pledge or, um, Oh yeah. The kneeling down anthem and stuff. How he was sort of exposed there. So, and it looks like another guy who got some bad advice, but, uh, you gotta love him. Hopefully he, he, uh, picks it up. Second half yeah, he season. seems to be improving regardless. He, he's definitely getting better game to game. But either way, good performance from the offensive line. That's why we got to control the game. We are giving them a grade of A. So let's move on to the extension of the offensive line tight end. Slowly but surely. Listen, Heath isn't coming back and Ladarius Green isn't coming back either. But it's nice to see Vance get a big downfield catch for the second week in a row. Grimble. Just made a Herculean catch in the middle of the field on third and 13. It ended up not uh, being long enough for the first down, but that was a nice one. And to see that in person, you you saw the guy was going to get crushed right when he caught it, and he made the catch anyways. I think that they all blocked very well, Jesse included. And on the negative side, Vance, man, Vance the drop, man. It's nice to see him catch some, but he needs to catch that touchdown. There's not really much more to say on that. That's – why we're having some of these red zone woes. You need to make that. That's just an NFL tight end catch. You got to make that. That being said, they blocked well and they made some big plays when we needed them. The tight ends, they get an A. That wraps up the Mr. offensive position. So now we talk about That's right. the head coach. Mr. Mr. Mike Tomlin, Tomlin a.k.a. the, the owner of the Cincinnati Bengals. This isn't – it's odd. I don't know really what percentage he's allowed to own of the Bengals where he can still coach the Steelers, but they seem to have some sort of deal worked out because he's beaten them in seven of the last eight and I think 13 of the last 16. This isn't really much of a rivalry. I was actually surprised to see those numbers uh, before and during the game. But if you think back on it, it's like, yeah, that's pretty much how it goes. you got to give him credit two weeks in a row over these AFC contenders – who he seems to have figured out. It's a great job. Um, on the negative side for Coach T, some of these repeat deficiencies that we've been kind of beating into the ground with the red zone stuff, the third down, all that, uh, they just they need to get better. Um, it seems like they have been getting better, but this was a regression in terms of those aforementioned issues. But either way, huge divisional win. Mike Tomlin gets a grade of A. Leads us into the offensive coordinator, Todd Haley. Um, you pointed out earlier to right. me that the play-action game is developing nicely. Looks like the offense was hitting on all cylinders. What can right. we do? We can repeat the uh, frustration with the red zone. Well, the big play that everyone's going to want to talk about, though, if we want to get specific about the red zone, is after that really nice 1 minute and 20 second drill, I guess you would call it, at the end of the first half, 
uh, a time when the Steelers usually do start gaining momentum when they go into that quick pace offense. They move down the field. They get to the Cincinnati five-yard line. And with 12 seconds left in the first half and the clock stopped, they call a run play on second and goal. And that one did not look like a did not look like an audible from Ben. It seemed like it because also Ben actually complained about the call. He made sure to make that public after the game. We'll also keep an eye on him for the Tuesday morning radio show. Now that there's more Marty drama, let's cross our fingers that Ben is going to lay low, but accept the reality that he will not. Either way, 12 seconds in the first half, you do a run play when you could have easily done at least two throws into the end zone from that time. And you know, Bell gets stuffed, and there's only three seconds left on the clock. When they get the timeout, for some reason, they have to, to kick a field goal. That's that's the bad play calling we're talking about. But either way, Todd Haley has found a way to get his offense going. It's not pretty work, but we do expect a little bit more from him in that area. We're going to give him a B. Now that we've wrapped up the offense, we're going to move into the defensive grades. Defensive grades. First up, defensive coordinator Keith Butler. Bengals are nothing without A.J. Green, and the Steelers nullified his existence with three receptions. Nullified. I would like to go back through history to see the last time he's been held to three receptions. He wasn't even uh, targeted that often. He was targeted six times for three receptions and 41 yards. That says it all, and we have been really wary of that secondary. So kudos to Keith Butler uh, for nullifying a uh, prolific wide receiver. Keith gets a grade, if I may call him Keith, gets a grade of A+. Right on. And A-plus effort it was indeed, especially stopping A.J. Green. And that moves into the next part, which is the dudes he was coaching, the defense themselves. They were fantastic. Listen, again, we haven't played any quarterbacks or receiving cores who are going to light up the scoreboard but they were dominant. The two turnovers, the second half production from the Cincinnati Bengals, if you include the negative plays and the sacks, amounts up to negative 17 yards of offense in the second half after allowing, what was it, like six yards of offense to the Chiefs in the first half last week? Mm-hmm. This is incredible. They're, they're really coming along. Uh, they held the Bengals to about 3.5 yards per play when they usually average 4.8. Bengals were on a two-game winning streak, and they had a bye as well. They seemed to begin to put stuff together. That came to a head to, uh, on Sunday. And they held the Bengals to the lowest output of the season with seven, 179 yards. Not only that, defense racked up four sacks and seven QB hits and totally rattled Andy Dalton after what I think was a, like a pretty nice first quarter from Dalton. Uh, they were able to adjust and just outman the Bengals. And holding them to 14 points, that's big time. You're going to win most of your games when you can hold teams to 14 points. Defense gets a grade of A+. Anchoring that defense is the defensive line. We had two sacks from the defensive line. Uh, Hayward, and also, uh, not that he hasn't played before, but we finally get to hear his name in the backfield, Alualu. With the sack. Alu-alu. Uh defensive yeah, it was line. Nice he cleaned up Bud's dirty work there, didn't he? <laughs> he did. He's, yeah. he's excellent. We'll talk about that in a moment. But um defensive line allowed seventy one yards rushing. And I, I you know, I pay attention to this every game and I, I watch and the, there's just penetration every play. There's always pressure on the quarterback. Uh once in a while if we're only and I would I should probably mention that uh when when we we're talking about Keith Butler, he really threw a lot of looks at at the Bengals. I mean, there were two down, there was one play with uh, one down lineman, two down lineman, three. So he's really uh, shifty in presenting a confusing mm-hmm. configuration to the Crimson Shimara. I got to give some credit to Chris Sims from the Sims and Lefko podcast. He had mentioned a similar thing about the Steelers. I think it was last week or so, but it's interesting to see that there's this legacy of defensive philosophy that's been passed down from Dick LeBeau and even from the well, I guess the original Dick LeBeau days with, with Cower, where the Steelers, they're still playing a ton of zone. They play way more zone than any other team in the NFL, but they find these creative ways to blitz and to bring pressure from from random and, and mixed up places. And that's 
something that it seems like they have gotten a much better hold of this year, particularly in the past few uh, past couple games, because they haven't gotten gashed by some of that confusing stuff. Yeah, they looked good. So we're going to give the defensive line an A. Let's move on to the inside linebackers, okay? Everybody's favorite inside linebackers, Ryan Shazier and Vince Williams played a great game. They helped hold Mixon to 48 yards rushing. They made some impact plays, particularly Shazier chasing guys down, whether it was a tight end getting into the flat on third down a couple of times, and he just closes on them. There was one time where Andy Dalton was scrambling on third down, and Shazier was covering the tight end. And it's kind of one of those situations where the quarterback, Andy Dalton, is running towards the line of scrimmage. And if you're Shazier, you kind of have to pick in between the tight end to continue to cover him or to go up on the quarterback. And he stuck on the tight end and let Andy run across the line of scrimmage, turned on a dime, and just chased him down like a Wolverine. Crushed him, didn't let him get the first down. Big game from Shazier. I think Vince was good as well. Uh, there were a couple nice cutbacks that, that Mixon had. It looks like Shazier might have gotten sucked into the line. This is the wrong gap on that 25-yard run that Mixon had. But other than that, he was great. Uh, LJ Fort with the bonehead play of the game, just completely forgetting to guard the tight end on that fourth and one touchdown pass that Andy Dalton had to make it 14-14. to But other than that, it was a really good day from the inside linebackers. Very physical, covered a lot of ground. We got to give them a grade of A. Moving to the outside, we're going to talk about the twins a little bit. Both Watt and Dupree registered a sack. Watt was in the backfield constantly. I think he had a couple knockdowns. He He was everywhere. I'm very gratified to see Bud finally get back there and get a marker for himself. Of course, it was on a perfectly designed uh, little trap play behind Alualu. But Mm -hmm. no complaints. Uh, Nobody got outside. As you mentioned, the mix and runs were actually kind of inside and and cutbacks. But I thought outside linebackers, solid job. We're going to give – do you have anything to add? No, I would just say that the Bengals' offensive line isn't very good this year, but it was nice to see Watt and Dupree each actually have a sack where they they beat their man. Well, Dupree didn't finish the play. That was the one where Alulu – Uh, cleaned it up but it was nice to see them actually come around the corner and get a sack that way rather than just from a stunt or from a wide open thing but uh, yeah i agree with you what what are we getting giving them for the grade outside linebackers a dig it let's move on to the corners who got a little bit more action today than they've been used to for the rest of the year and they acquitted themselves pretty nicely aj green started super hot and I think the coverage on him was actually pretty solid. He made an unbelievable catch on the sideline over Artie Burns, who almost got there. And then some of his other catches seemed to be kind of in just zones in between two guys where Andy Dalton made some pretty sweet throws, to be honest with you. But otherwise, they they held their men well. And Joe Hayden's pick was excellent. And like I said before, obviously this was Sean Davis, but it was nice to see Willie Gay pick up an interception as well. I think this was one of the better games we saw from them, and they were able to not blow a major coverage already during the game. So that's great to see as well. We got to give them a grade of A. Finally, looking at the safeties, uh, William Gay, as you pointed out earlier, Sean Davis just seems to be a guy for the ages. Uh, he's, he's no Troy Palomalu, but he is just picking up steam. He's a very solid guy. He's a tackling machine. He had a pass defended and a forced fumble in addition mm-hmm. to creating, in a Da Vinci-like way, the interception for William Gay. Right. He himself had a solid game. He did. Yeah, Sean Davis is looking better and better. I think Mike Mitchell was a little bit better in coverage today than he was against the Chiefs. They scored that first touchdown on Mike Mitchell, but I thought his coverage was actually pretty good. It was a nice throw, nice catch uh, by Brandon LaFell. And I think that they, yeah, they played really well and they were filled the running lanes a little bit better today. So there is definitely improvement on some of the issues that we've seen throughout this, the year for the Steelers. We've seen that on defense. We're going to give the safeties also a grade of A. And bearing in mind that improvement, we've seen it happen on defense. We've seen it happen in the passing game on offense. I think we 
we still have time to see improvement from the Steelers in that red zone uh, that we're so worried about in the third down areas. So huge win puts the Steelers into first place comfortably in the AFC North and even gives them the first overall seed currently in the AFC, which is nice, but they still have a long ways to go, but you got to be happy about what you saw on Sunday. We're going to take the gift horse, not going to look in the mouth, but I'll point out that we've only beaten three winning teams, four losing teams, average point. They're scoring an average of the, our opposition is scoring an average of 20 points and allowing 20 points. So, we are going to get into the meat of the schedule, but it won't be next week. Will it be a trap game against the Detroit Lions? We'll find out. I don't even know what to call a trap game for the Steelers anymore. They got a gunslinger at quarterback, which will be the first really great quarterback the Steelers play in Matt Stafford. I'm not totally scared of their outside weapons. Um, they got some fast running backs and a, and a solid offensive line. So I think it'll be a bigger challenge than the Steelers have seen. It'll be good to see them get to play against a good quarterback um, and kind of stick their feet into the deep end. It's not like they got to play Brady and all those receivers this week, but they do. we do get to see how they play against a good quarterback. So I'm really excited to see that. I think it's going to be good for them. Just remind me next time to um, draft Chris Boswell in our next year's fantasy league. Yeah, that was that was a mistake. So everybody, so I think thank we've, you. For, yeah, covered it. All right, thank you for joining us again for episode seven. We will be back next week on Monday to regale you with tales of what is hopefully a victory over the Detroit Lions. So until then, have a great week, everybody, and thank you for joining us. Okay, bye bye. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.